Uh, well, if you'll turn me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, or at least hold your thumb there, and we're real briefly going to take a quick bypass uh, and look at 1 Kings chapter 3, just for a uh, brief background. We're starting a new series, the book of Proverbs. We will spend the next, I'd say, maybe 12 to 13 weeks is what it looks like, uh, roughly, just looking at the first nine chapters of Proverbs uh, we'll look and see that there are actually seven uh, collections of Proverbs, and the first collection uh, is, uh, consists in the first nine chapters. So we're going to take some time over the next few months uh, looking at the nature of wisdom and godly wisdom. Um, but tonight, of course, as we begin this series, we need to have uh, some background, and so I think we would do well to consider 1 Kings uh, chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 3 and read through verse Uh, I believe, 11. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many people to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding heart to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. Notice that language, how it reflects Uh, that of Genesis chapter 2, what was Adam's goal in the garden to discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And so it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, because you have asked for this, and you have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but instead you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, now I do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and a discerning mind. Quite literally, I give you a wise and discerning heart so that none like you before you and none like you after you shall arise. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. And if you will but walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then will I lengthen your days. Now turning with me to Proverbs chapter 1, as we see the fruit of Solomon's prayer committed to Scripture, committed to writing, this great wisdom that the Lord has bestowed, Solomon now commits to the people of God. Look at the first seven verses this evening. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, 
in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and let the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is God's holy word. We have a question before us, where is wisdom to be found? We find this is the same question that Job poses his three friends at the end of this lengthy discourse that he has with those terrible friends of his after Job has lost everything. Job tells his three friends, says, I've looked high and low, and wisdom is to be found neither in the land of the living or of the dead. Where is wisdom to be found? Is a question that the preacher of Ecclesiastes also asks. Now, for chapters, he tells his audience, I have searched high and low my entire life for wisdom. Where is it to be found? Is it to be found in philosophy? Is it to be found in pleasure, in eating and drinking and being merry? Is it to be found in sexual fulfillment or romantic relationships? Is wisdom to be found in work, in toil, or the toys that we acquire, or prestige, and nobility, honor, and wealth? Ecclesiastes tells us that here's a man who has spent his whole life seeking wisdom in these things, and he has come up empty-handed. That is what he means when he says vanity, vanity, all earth. It's come up empty. It's like the passing wind. What we find here in this collection of books, this a portion of Scripture we refer to as the wisdom literature, Proverbs gives us an answer where wisdom is to be found. The source of wisdom, the path of wisdom, and what the fruit and goal of wisdom is to look like. I think we would do well to spend some time contemplating the nature of this wisdom. And so this evening, as we begin this new series, I'd like us to consider three things. First, let us consider the school of the wise. We'll see this in verse 1. Secondly, we'll consider the purpose of wisdom in verses 2 to 6. And finally, our first steps in wisdom as we see in verse 7. So the school of the wise, the purpose of wisdom, and first steps. The opening verse tells us who the author of this work is. It is David's son, King Solomon. Now, if you read through the book of Proverbs, how I'm sure many of us have in our Bible reading plans, we'll recognize that this is more of an anthology of collected sayings. It's, in fact, seven collected sayings rolled into one book. This is why you'll see here at the beginning, this says the Proverbs of Solomon. Yet later on in the book, you'll see a particular section that it says it's the, it's the collected writings or wisdoms of King, uh, I believe, uh, Lemur. Uh, And then we have collected writings of other kings as well. But it seems as though that Solomon has given wisdom, but has also collected the wisdom, the best wisdom of the day, and has so ordered it in a way to give it to the people of God. And yet we have to recognize that 
This wisdom is no mere earthly wisdom. It finds a source that runs deeper than Solomon. That's why we began by reading 1 Kings chapter 3, where when Solomon ascends the throne, he confesses, Lord, I'm just a kid. I don't know how to govern these people. These are your people. This is your kingdom. The thing I need more than anything is a wise and discerning heart. The thing we recognize is that Solomon uh, is not born with these things. These are things that are divinely given to him. As the Lord responds to Solomon's request, and yet as you read 1 Kings 1 to 11, you find that here is a king who grows in wisdom. Here is a king who exercises uh, great prudence in many ways. He's the wisest king on the face of the earth, according to the Lord and according to Scripture. Nations flock to him. Under him, the nation prospers. It becomes a well-ordered society. There's more to be said about the, the life of Solomon, as you well know, but For our purposes here this evening, we find that this is a wisdom that Solomon does not naturally have. Solomon is not a boy genius. This is not something that comes to him naturally. It is a divine gift. It is not something that he acquired by going to graduate school. It is something that was divinely given him by the Lord. And now he commits this wisdom to writing that his own son may benefit from it. That's who he's addressing this to, my son. This is for you. Use it to learn to govern well. I think this really presents before us a view of wisdom that differs from the purpose of education we see in the world around us. You know, I used to teach high school for a number of years. I taught at a boarding school where there was a great pressure that was placed upon having kids pass their exams. And, you know, that's, that's good. I'm saying this as a high school teacher. It's good that you ensure that your kids want to do well in class. We also want to ask, what is the trajectory? What's the purpose of, of these courses? Is it to give you basic life skill set? What, what is its goal? And so for, for so many, the purpose was simply get good grades in a nice school so you can go to a bigger and better college so you can get a well-paying job so that you can be a wealthy and affluent member in society. Wisdom s- seems to have a, an end towards just being comfortable. And yet, Proverbs seems to have a different goal for the nature of wisdom. It even has a different source. You're in a world that is currently obsessed with credentials, and I'm not saying credentials are a bad thing, right? If I want to go see a doctor, I want to see a doctor who's actually passed uh, 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 medical school, right? I think we all would. Um, Credentials are good. But there comes a point where there's an obsession with credentialing wherein uh, the person with the most degrees has some type of special aura about him, uh, where what he says is gospel truth. We have to ask ourselves, is that really the right way forward here? Is that really what the, the goal and the purpose of wisdom is? See, here in Proverbs, we find that the source of wisdom is not found in the lecture notes of a tenured college professor. This is not an inside discourse of a philosophy of a philosopher having a conversation with one of his teaching assistants. 
This is wisdom divinely given by God to Israel's king. And now Israel's king is committing such wisdom to writing and passing it on to his own son. So the school of wisdom is not seen in the lecture halls. It's seen in the family. And it's seen in the church as God's word here is properly proclaimed. If you notice who the recipient is, we have to recognize right away that this has a direct bearing on our understanding of the person and work of Christ. Because the book of Proverbs is, in fact, divine instruction for Israel's Messiah on how to live and how to rule. What was the great promise that was given to David and after David to Solomon that there will come a son in your line who will sit on the throne and rule in justice, righteousness, equity with all wisdom? It's the great promise of Isaiah chapter 7, 9, and 11, that that child born of a virgin, that the government would rest on his shoulders and he would be called what? The Wonderful Counselor. The one who bestows wisdom. Here we are given the book on how to live well. And what we find is that this book is not a, 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 a guild secret. You know, this is, you, know, you think of, um, you know, uh, infamously KFC. I love Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? It's not as good as Popeye's Fried Chicken, but it's still pretty good. Uh, but KFC has their secret recipe that is kept under lock and key, right? It is an insider secret. The only person who knows how to make it are those on the inside. Uh, you think of your mother's, you know, uh, uh, chicken pot pie recipe. Um, hey, how did you make it? Well, it's a family secret. I'll make it for you, but I can't tell you. Well, when it comes to wisdom, uh, this insight that is given to Israel's king, it is not a trade secret. It's not simply insider knowledge. It is actually great wisdom that is given to the whole nation because it's been committed to Scripture. It is the words of the wise king to his son, but he does not leave this in a book uh, behind closed doors. It's been given to the whole people of God. Divine wisdom to set both prince and people on a proper path. And so we have to ask, what is the purpose and what is the path of wisdom? This is where we see in verses 2 to 6, right? If we could describe wisdom in a nutshell, uh, there are a number of ways in which we could do it. I, this is my best shot. If, uh, if you have something better, I'm, I'm all ears. But I'd like us to consider wisdom as this, the art of living well. You see here, there's a litany of synonyms given here in verses 2 to 6. The ESV has it like this, wisdom instruction, prudence, knowledge, discretion, guidance. All right, these words do not so much communicate, uh, convey the idea of, of accumulating enough data to pass your next multiple choice exam as much as it is in learning the skill of a particular trade. Remember when I was in high school, I took the ASVAB. Uh, goal was to go into the military. That failed. Uh, <laughs> I get a call uh, regarding the ASVAB. They said, I passed in several key areas, but there's one particular category that I failed spectacularly in, and it was the mechanical section. And so, some of the, the multiple choice questions, like a picture, like, what is this? A wrench? A hammer? A toolbar? 
I got nearly every answer wrong on that particular section. I very quickly learned what my uh, skill, what my future was not going to consist in. Right, a man is not a good mechanic because he is able to distinguish a monkey wrench from a crowbar, although I would suggest that is perhaps a good start. A man becomes a good mechanic because he knows how to put those tools to a particular use. He begins to apply it well. See, here we are given the picture of a master shipbuilder. Here we are given the picture of a lothier, the man who devotes his life to the art and skill of, of constructing the perfect guitar, making or performing the perfect cello, being a skilled musician. Wisdom is also seen to be a real skill. Just as learning a particular trade or profession, wisdom is the art and the skill of living before the face of a holy God in the midst of a fallen world. It's an old Greek word that's used to describe such training. Uh, if you have kids who have been homeschooled, they might be familiar with this word. Is that, that word paideia. And it's a word that communicates not just instruction, but proper discipline. Right? It takes discipline to, uh, uh, you know, to practice your scales every day. Right? I was in wind ensemble in high school. Uh, to, 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 to master you know, uh, sight reading for you know, state finals. To be able to play in an orchestra or a symphony. Uh, to be able to uh, train as an Olympian. You know, as the Olympics are wrapping up, as we watch those documentaries on television, those news reports of all that the gymnasts or athletes have to go through, years of training to make it to this event, you look at some of these gymnasts and you go, there's a real skill there. You know, for those of us who love watching baseball, there's, there's a real artfulness to the perfect pitch or to the perfect swing. It's one of the, that's one of the great joys about uh, the various types of sports that we enjoy. But wisdom here, we're to think of wisdom as learning that particular skill, not to, uh, to master the basketball court uh, or, to, uh, or any other skill or trade, but it's learning the art and the skill of living well before the Lord. It takes rigorous training, and it consists in all those rigors that attend uh, the Olympian or the boxer. And so to be instructed in wisdom, we have to learn what particular form, what package that wisdom comes in. When you read Proverbs, you realize and recognize, hopefully, that Proverbs looks very different from some of the other portions or genres of Scripture. It says here in verses 1 and again in verse 6, it's given in the form of a proverb or a riddle. Yeah, I, th- I remember watching the old Adam West, West Batman reruns as a kid. You know, I always, when I hear a riddle, I want to go, riddle me this, Batman. But here Solomon is going, riddle me this, churchman. Here's a riddle before you to consider. You know, when we read Numbers chapter 12, the Lord says something uh, that I find quite striking as we think about the nature of Proverbs. The Lord tells the nation, he says, look, when I speak to Moses, I speak with him face to face, plainly as a man speaks to his friend. Uh, but when I speak to a prophet, not so much. I speak to him in riddles. See, Hebrews 1 tells us that uh, under the Old Covenant, the Lord spoke in a variety of ways. He spoke plainly through the law. 
right? So if you were to wake up one day and you're contemplating your life before you go, huh, I wonder if I should murder my neighbor today, yes or no, the law can say something quite clearly. Thou shalt not murder. But when it comes to other facets of life and living, we have to slow down to consider our ways. It's one thing to ask whether or not you should murder your neighbor or commit adultery or steal. But I think it's another thing to ask this, should I rejoice in the calamity of my enemy even though he deserved it? Which is better, wealth or integrity? When should I answer the fool? And when should I not? See, now we are starting to get at the questions of wisdom. Now we are considering what it is like to live in the midst of a fallen world. Here, we are forced to slow down and carefully examine our particular steps. So wisdom is given in a particular form that forces us to tap the brakes. It forces us to slow down and consider our ways. I think that's why for many of us, you know, um, these Bible reading plans, uh, perhaps our attempt at reading Proverbs, it's not the best way of doing so. What is it that we typically try to do? We try to read through Proverbs in a month. And so what do you do? You've got, you know, a chapter of 40 different Proverbs, and you read it all at once in five minutes. You go, okay, on to the next thing, where each proverb, uh, in many ways, should force us to slow down and examine our steps. Wisdom is given in a particular mode that forces us not to make rash decisions. And what is it that we're doing when we're not making rash decisions? Well, now we're starting to learn what it is to be wise. Proverbs lays down those principles in pithy statements that force us to evaluate our present situation. And so, for instance, in Proverbs chapter 6, Two verses back to back, Solomon puts it like this. Answer the fool according to his folly. You go, aha, now I know how to answer a fool. I'll answer stupid with stupid. Such is, I think, a biblical warrant for satire in some ways. But we'll get to that when we get to chapter 6. But what does the very next verse say? Do not answer a fool according to his folly. Well, okay, so which one is it? Well, the answer is yes. You see, wisdom forces you to slow down and consider when is the right time to speak to a fool, and when does it come time to say, you know what, I'm not going to answer you anymore. That is the path of wisdom. It takes time. It takes contemplation to consider our paths in light of God's law. And so we see principles laid out here in the riddles of the book of Proverbs. Not only is there a form of wisdom, we also see that there's a proper ordering to wisdom. Notice the progression we see here in verses 2 to 6. Verse 2, you are to acquire knowledge. In other words, you're not to assume that you already have it. How many people do we know that um, they are much quicker to speak than they are to listen Perhaps that might describe many of us. But here, it begins by saying that the goal, the purpose 
of these Proverbs are to acquire knowledge, to give you something that you did not already have. And it is acquired by what? It is required by, verse 3, receiving instruction. Sometimes the wisest thing to do, as we'll see in the book of Proverbs, is to sit down and keep your mouth shut. Hear what other people say. Wisdom is found in a multitude of counselors. None of us know it all. There is only one who knows all things. But he gives his wisdom among the people of God that we might rely off one another. So we have to learn what it means to listen before we speak. There is a process of receiving instruction, verse 3, but then there is, verse 4, learning to give instruction. So notice that process. You acquire knowledge, it's done through receiving instruction, and then you learn to give. The whole idea is to train you in the path of wisdom, that you, in learning wisdom, might begin to pass that wisdom down to the next generation. Wisdom is something to be learned and not kept up in a box. Hide this wisdom under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine, right? We pass it down to the next generation. And that is the format that we see here. My son, this is a father speaking, saying, after my entire life, having lived it, this is the wisdom that I pass down to you. No one is excluded from this school of wisdom. There's no point where somebody says, I have aced the course. I don't have to sit in this class again. Right? Verse 4, it is for the simple. Another way we could translate that is, it is for the naive to give them a basic rudimentary knowledge of how the world works, but it is also for the youth to teach them proper discretion. For instance, what is modesty? What kind of friends should I make or associate with? Should I go with the people who have the greatest amount of influence? Or should I go with those who have the best integrity? See, these are things that perhaps at being 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, we might go, well, that's painfully obvious, forgetting the fact that sometimes the obviousness is only learned painfully. And so as wisdom is given to pass that down, to help you bypass uh, the heartaches of life. It's not just for the young. Look at verse 5. Let the wise also hear and increase in wisdom. Let the one who already understands obtain guidance, is how the ESV put it quite, puts it quite literally. The text says, let him learn the art of leadership. There's an expectation that those who lead, whether it be it in the home as a father or a mother, be it in the church as a pastor, an elder, or a deacon, be it in the workplace as an employer, or in the nation as a king or president, or to have wisdom. Wisdom is not something that you can say, great, look, I already have the degree, I don't have to go through this again. Think of the great football coach Vince Lombardi, right? What is it that he does, he did every year, first week of football camp, despite all the various trophies uh, and and, uh, games that he had won? First lesson every week, every new year. Gentlemen, this is a football. Here are the basics. Because it is only by mastering the basics that you really learn the art of the game. And here for us, the art is the art of living well. 
Luther himself put it like this, you never outgrow your catechism. There never comes a point where you say, I don't need any further instruction. And so all of us here are called to hear what the wise king of Israel says. Listen and learn. This is a class. This is a book for old and for young alike. So where do we begin? Well, we see here in verse 7, these first steps. It begins with the fear of the Lord. In recognizing that the Lord is the God to whom we will have to give an account for how we have lived our lives on the last day. You might be looking uh, at the Proverbs, the thing in particular Proverbs. I remember this week and um, uh, kind of piddling about, I read um, Ben Franklin's Poor Richard's Almanac, kind of a collection of Ben Franklin's own Proverbs, some that sound very similar to what we find in the book of Proverbs. also read, uh, anyways, a couple other things. And you might look at some of these Proverbs and you're saying to yourself, well, isn't the Aren't a lot of these Proverbs just common sense? We, you know, admittedly, you read these commentaries that attest that Solomon not only wrote his own Proverbs, but it seems that he uh, in, engaged in a, an act of, of cultural appropriation. How he took the wisdom of Egypt and Babylon around him and seemed to have appropriated certain Proverbs that were popular among the pagan nations. I don't think those things should fear us. Rather, I think they should remind us that wisdom, the wisdom we find in Proverbs, gives an, a testimony of God's goodness to all mankind. And yet it is only in learning the fear of the Lord that wisdom becomes properly ordered. See, I'm not saying that you're going to, you know, if, if you're not a Christian, you're an idiot. There are plenty of guys with PhDs who are great medical doctors, great physicists, great, you know, rocket scientists who are really smart and do not know the Lord. We must remember here that wisdom does not have so much to do with academics as it does to do with the heart. It has to do with morals. You know, if we want to think of the wisdom of this age, and sometimes we have unbelievers who give wise advice. But we want to think that this, what we call this common grace wisdom, the wisdom that even unbelievers have, uh, wisdom that you might find from uh, the, the ancient philosophers of old. If you read, you know, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, they've got some pretty good things to say a lot of times, even though they themselves were pagans. And yet, I want us to think of human wisdom something like a, like a jigsaw puzzle. And if you don't have the fear of the Lord, here you have a jigsaw puzzle that's been knocked out of place. The wisdom of this world is at best a fractured mirror. It might, give, it might reflect vestiges of the truth. But if you've ever dropped, uh, shattered a mirror, you know what happens when you try to pick up the pieces. It will hurt you. The fear of the Lord begins to put everything back together. It is the fear of the Lord that properly orders wisdom aright. For we are not only seeing vestiges of the truth here or there, but you get to see the whole picture placed before you. The end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon puts it like this. He says, you want to know the cliff notes of wisdom? 
Here, let me summarize everything for you. Here is the end of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment. With every secret, be it good or evil. What does it mean to live wisely? Live in light of the final judgment. That's what Solomon says. Wisdom is not an academic matter as much as it is moral. Wisdom is not the provenance of uh, uh, the exclusive provenance of the philosopher. It is for both farmer and philosopher alike. You can get straight A's your whole life. You can get solid fives on your AP exams. You can get a perfect score on your SATs, your ACTs, your GREs, and your LSATs. You can hold multiple PhDs in several fields. You can get a, a, a tenured position at Harvard, Oxford, or Cambridge, and you can still be reckoned a fool in God's eyes. Because at the end of the day, on the last day when we stand before the Lord, Scripture does not say that it is the fool who isn't able to account for how old the earth is. Your right standing with God does not consist in your views on the age of the earth. Rather, where is the fool to be found? It is the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. God's not going to give us this, you, to enter the pearly gates. Are you able to pass a basic math exam? Oh, you, you failed? Well, guess you can't make it into my heaven because you're just not smart enough. No. The guy who can barely balance a checkbook can have all the wisdom that God has given because even if he can't do basic math, and I say this as one who cannot do basic math, the starting point of wisdom is not found in learning your ABCs. It is found in the fear of the Lord. You can be the world's smartest man and still the world's biggest idiot, such as the great tragedy of Solomon. Here is a man who in 1 Kings is presented as a second Adam. Here's a man who is given the wisdom to adjudicate, to discern between good and evil. What does he do? He builds and constructs a massive temple garden, and he rules from the midst of that garden portion of the temple. What is it called? The forest of Lebanon. And what's at the entrance? Two large trees. Should that remind you of somebody? Here is the man who brings wisdom to the nations, and Israel flourishes under him. Here the nations flock to hear the wisdom that Solomon gives as he is appointed as head of the peoples. One who rules in justice and righteousness and equity. And yet just as Adam was lured away by the folly of his wife, so too we find that Solomon fell into that same trap. Perhaps there's a reason why Solomon spends so much time talking about the dangers of adultery in these opening chapters. Here's a man whose heart was turned away from the Lord and he fell. Israel's wisest man became a great fool. And yet where Solomon fell in the likeness of the first Adam, we are given the great news that Christ, the last Adam, has come who in his wisdom rules and reigns from on high. Again, we must remember who this book was written primarily for. 
It's addressed to the Messianic king. As Solomon says, hear my son these words. And it is addressed to all those who are in Christ. Who is the rightful heir to the throne? See, Proverbs is not simply kind of existing as a book on its own. It's placed in the middle of the canon of Scripture. It is intended to point our direction and our hearts to Christ. This is what Jesus says in Luke 24, that the whole Scriptures testify to the suffering and exaltation of the Messiah. We can imagine Jesus growing up reading the book of Proverbs. And this is not a flight of fiction because that's actually what he did. As the scriptures tell us that he was steeped in meditating on God's word day and night. Luke 2 tells us that Jesus grew and he became strong and he became filled with wisdom. Where even at such a, an early age, Jesus who was born and raised... Well, he was at least raised in Nazareth, this podunk fishing village to the north, kind of redneck country, and yet he comes, and here a 12-year-old redneck son of a carpenter comes, and he stumps all the religious professors in the temple of the day. Even as a 12-year-old boy, the crowd sit and are amazed at his insight and wisdom. And so we ask ourselves here, you know, as, as we consider here is Jesus, he who is God from eternity, the one who spoke to Solomon, the one who gave such wisdom to Solomon, is now the one who receives that same instruction from Solomon as he grows in that wisdom. Why does Christ do this? As the God-man, he does this to model for us what it looks like to walk the path of wisdom. Wisdom comes by sitting at the feet of the divine counselor, shutting our mouths and listening and meditating on the word of God. These words here for Proverbs in verses 6 and 7, that of riddles, dark sayings. Another word for it. That of the parable. See, this actually describes and defines Jesus' own teaching ministry in his earthly life. That Jesus comes to give dark riddles, speaking of the kingdom that is to come, that baffles the wise and yet at the same time enlightens the simple. And the crowds stand back and are amazed time and time again at Christ's teaching and authority and wisdom, such that Paul, telling the church of Corinth, tells us this, that Christ has become for us wisdom from God. That these pithy statements that we see in Proverbs seem to run contrary in some ways to common sense, in some ways not so much, but either way they are short statements that force us to stop and rethink how it is that we are living our lives. And Paul tells us that this is the very thing that the cross has come to do as an act of God's divine wisdom to demonstrate that the foolishness of God has been given in the shape of a cross to stump wisdom, the wisdom of human ingenuity. That wisdom comes to us through the folly of preaching. That to the wise man of this age, he looks at the cross and he says, this is stupid. 
And yet Paul says, but for those of us who are being saved, it is the very wisdom of God. That the message of the cross subverts human wisdom. The parables of the kingdom are given to show how topsy-turvy our own human thinking really is. That in the messianic kingdom, it is the weak who are made strong. That it is the last who become first. That it is the poor who are made rich. That it is the meek and not the powerful who inherit the earth. And that it is the wise men of this age who are the true idiots of the day because they deceive people leading them down the pit to destruction that's why paul says in colossians chapter 2 don't let these vain philosophies deceive you from where true wisdom is to be found in christ who is our wisdom that the cross teaches us that the holy god who does not wink at sin, has nevertheless stooped to save sinners. It subverts human wisdom and understanding. Why would would a holy God do this to a rebel race? And yet we're reminded here, as the whole book of Proverbs is intended to display, that the beginning of wisdom is found in the riddles that God gives and the parables that he sets forth, the greatest riddle, The greatest thing that baffles even angels to this day is the great doctrine of redemption and salvation that is found in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that true discipleship, true instruction, that true paideia consists in taking up our cross and following the Lord Jesus Christ who himself tells us that he is one who has come, one greater than Solomon. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that as we consider the wisdom of your word, that it would subvert the wisdom of this age. Reshape our hearts to consider what true godliness consists in and what true wisdom consists in, that young and old alike might grow in wisdom and that we might walk the path of the wise. As you have called us to do, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.